Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm joined by a special guest today, Dave Stevens, to talk about the reasons we can be optimistic about housing right now. I know Dave is very familiar to many of you, but let me run through just part of his impressive resume. He served as Senior Vice President of Single Family at Freddie Mac, Executive Vice President at Wells Fargo Home Mortgage, Assistant Secretary of Housing and FHA Commissioner during the Obama administration, and as CEO of the Mortgage Bankers Association. Today, he is the CEO at Mountain Lake Consulting, and I'm excited to dive in. So Dave, welcome to the Housing Wire Daily Podcast. Hey, Sarah, good to be with you. Great to have you here. I'm so glad that we get to talk today. So I heard you speak at the New England Mortgage Bankers Conference, and you gave a presentation on why now is still a great time to buy a house. And you were looking to arm originators with the information they need to pass on to buyers, right? This was a couple months ago. And I think I'd love to talk about that. But relatedly, I think it would be great to get your perspective on overcoming some of the challenges facing mortgage originators right now. It's tough, right? And yeah. any advice you have seeing, you know, you've seen different cycles and and what are some of the ways that I know specifically you talked about, hey, in the past, people had higher rates. So how do they make margin with in that environment? So we'd love to just dive in right there. We're in an industry that's in a process of right sizing. And what I mean by that is, if you look over past market corrections, take the 2008 Great Recession and the period following that, we had a market that went from about $3.9 trillion in 2003 uh, into the Great Recession and dropped down to about a $1.6 trillion market. That was a huge contraction. Um, that market, by the way, that stated about $1.6 to $1.8 trillion for the next decade was many was when many loan originators who will listen to this and who read Housing Wire got into the business, but they made margin. So here we are in a market today where the market's going to be about two and a half trillion dollars this year, maybe two point three trillion next year, um, while rates still remain a little elevated. That's a bigger market that we're in today and will be in next year than we were in any of that time post two thousand eight, and yet. Lenders, loan officers, everybody made margin during that period. So why is it? It's because the market's right-sizing. We're oversupplied with loan officers, uh, with uh, operations staff, and in many cases, we just have too many lenders. And that's, you know, as we talk today, a lot of that's resolving itself. We're hearing about mortgage companies outright closing or shedding retail or shedding all their production. Um, these scalebacks are going to be I think pretty profound as we move through the winter months and into the cold first quarter uh, of 2023. But once the market right sizes, we're going to have an overall market size that is clearly has ample room for margin. It's going to be a bigger market than anything we experienced over the 14 years or so prior to 2020. And so um, it just makes it very difficult for loan officers today because one, you know, the rates are scary for many anyway. There's no more refinancing or very little. And on top of it, you're fighting like crazy for every loan that you can uh, make. And that often means that you're, you know, doing mortgages at close to break even or maybe sometimes even at a loss uh, rates. And to comp compound the problems, 
we have a lot of companies that I think are uh, are um, underpricing the market just to stay afloat, and they're pricing at levels that nobody could compete with because if you're going to make money, you can't you can't price at those levels. So this is just part of the swirl of a correction. Um, I've had four decades in this business, and I've had the benefit of going through a few of these. Um, this is a tough one. What what kind of advice do you give to people who are right in the thick of it to be like, here's how you find your why in this business. Here's why you here's how you keep going. Well, look, um, you know, let's not forget the fact we just had the two best years that the industry has ever experienced in mortgage volume. And I, I always say this facetiously, but I hope people save some money. Um, the why is is very clear to me. I mean, homeownership demand is going to be actually really strong for the next decade. Um, we're on the forefront of the biggest cycle, demographic cycle in American history for demand. And, you know, I showed that chart in, in Rhode Island. I didn't make it. An economist made it. But um, we have a big wave coming our way. And homeownership is still truly the pathway to wealth building um, for, for the average American. And so what we do, I think is really important without lenders and loan officers, uh, you know, that ability to go buy a home just wouldn't exist. So we play an important role. I think the challenge is, is that we got a little too comfortable when the fed was in our lives and drove rates down to two or 3%. But that only happens when you're in a period of great recession, recessionary risk. So during the Great Recession after 08, the Fed came in three times with three rounds of quantitative easing. And then in that infamous March of 2020, when the pandemic recession hit, the Fed you know, came in double barreled and, and drove rates down to the twos. That's not a normal world. Um, and so having rates in the mid single digits, uh, mid to high, you know, it's far more normal to be where we are today. The problem is for many, they're like, um, can I make it through the winter? Uh, is it ever going to get better? And I know it's really hard to practice optimism when you're facing this, especially when you have a lot of pundits out there giving their own prognostications that I don't think are really fact-based. Um, but the reality is, you know, you serve a meaningful purpose. Um, we're helping Americans uh, get into their dream home and begin wealth building and this market is going to improve. We're going to see really good years late, starting late next year into 2024 and 2025. That'll be ever increasing volumes. Um, and I think that's just sort of what we all have to look forward to. And the question is, what are you going to do right now to make your way through this market that we're currently in? One of the things we're seeing is um, originators who obviously, you know, many were very uh, focused on refis over the last two years. And now, of course, we're not we're we're not seeing that we're seeing the purchase, but also really looking at different, you know, they're looking at reverse. They're looking at home equity. They're looking they're really, you know, let's let's look beyond the low hanging fruit. What do you see from the past? that You're like, oh, yeah, this is this is the way you do that. Yeah, well, it's funny how the past repeats itself. I, I began as a loan rep in 1983 as a loan originator. I may have ended up working for a president, but I originated mortgages just like uh, a lot of your listeners here. And rates were in the mid-teens. Um, and two things were going on. All my fellow loan officers at the, at the lender I was hired at had been in the business when rates were in the 6 7 and 8% range. And so having rates in the mid-teens, they were like, it's over. I'm getting out of the business. I'm just riding this out. Um, it's never going to get better. I didn't know any better. I came in from selling office equipment into the lending world. I just went out and made calls and got mortgages um, when nobody else really had the 
could do it. There were no refinances. Nobody wanted to refinance into a 14 or 15% mortgage. But I never really did a 14 or 15% mortgage. I did anything I could do to be creative, whether it was a 2-1 buy-down or a 1-0 buy-down. And I think that's a real opportunity right now, given the forecast. Look at Mike Fratantoni's forecast from the NBA. The rates are going to go into the mid-fives next year. Get creative. Show Work with a seller. Have them advertise that they're willing to uh, provide a buy down rate for, you know, if it's 2 1, gets you down in the fives, right? That would be a great way to tantalize people to come in and buy that house. And you could team with a realtor to try to put, put a package like that together. But to your point, yes, if you happen to have access to a home equity product, that should be a very hot product right now because uh, short rates are lower anyway. They're still up, but they're still lower. And uh, no one, many people don't want to get rid of their two or three percent thirty-year fixed-rate loan, but if they can get a HELOC, they can tap into that massive amount of equity that's in their home, and certainly reverse. But you know, those products require training and understanding. But there are niches um, that you can get into. I think also when you think about something like reverse, our our current situation makes that more tenable because the the training and the and the lead time you're going to have to invest in that. You have enough lead time in this current thing we know. I mean, something's not going to change next month to to turn all this around. So right. I would I would think that this is a a time to where you could see that investment pay off. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I do believe reverse is a complicated product and not everybody offers them and not everybody necessarily will run and go originate reverses. But th- there are two big demographic stories in the United States right now. One is the millennials, which is the biggest generation in history. And the biggest portion of the millennial generation is just rolling into their peak first time home buying years. So that's where the demand is going to come from for years to come. But the other big story is the baby boom generation, which is the, the generation just a little smaller than the millennials. And they're all aging out. They're retiring, uh, but it's huge. And so um, the opportunity to to go out and market and offer reverse mortgages, frankly, and it's not really rate dependent because you're not really thinking about rate. You don't have to make a payment on your home anymore, um, and you get and you get some cash out. That's that's a pretty good story to tell. So um, you know, I think there's an opportunity there as well. You know, we we wrote a story today, uh, Bill Conroy did, talking about, you know, there's a there's a consolidation wave coming um, uh, among mortgage originators. Right. Because you you do have some with with both of with all these pressures. If you're a smaller lender, it's hard to see how you can cut, you know, enough staff. How you can, I mean, there there is that foundational layer of. Uh, of systems and processes and and costs that you have to survive. But if you're a smaller lender, how does that really work if you're an IMB? What do you think about the consolidation coming? Well, the consolidation is coming. It's here really on top of us. I mean, I was surprised to hear about my old friend in Kansas City closing his doors, you know, and he'd been a lender in this country for years and years, Eustace. And I, I think it's um, it's just telling what's happening here. We're seeing lenders completely get out of the business. We heard of one big national lender that, you know, suddenly they're getting rid of retail and wholesale. And that basically means they're not going to be in the origination business anymore. The consolidation is going to come in a variety of different, different ways. I think, you know, call center platforms that were refi based don't have a chance to survive in this market ahead uh, for the next few years. So we're going to see, you know, we'll see even greater consolidation with certain business model profiles that aren't well suited for a purchase market. Uh, and that's going to happen. 
But for mortgage originators, and I, as you know, I have clients who are independent mortgage bankers, they're having to reduce their operations staffs by, you know, they're following the recommendations given at, at the uh, National MBA Conference in Nashville. A 30-ish percent reduction has to occur here in order to right-size to current market volumes. But, you know, most originators are going to have this odd bifurcation going between the desire to hire more loan originators but reduce operation staff. And frankly, I think that's the only option. These are really tough decisions. And with the holidays upon us, you hate to be thinking about cuts. I know a lot of lenders are racing to try to get any cuts done before Thanksgiving because they don't want to do it over the holidays. But in the end of the day, I'd really believe the only way healthy companies are going to remain healthy is you've got to right-size your op staff. You know, we keep looking at cost per loan, uh, that data gets published frequently, mostly coming from the mortgage bankers. But the cost per loan is now exceeding revenue per loan. And um, that's uh, that's just a pure reality of, you know, underwriters that could do X squared in loans underwritten per month. And today, based on current volumes, they're doing X, a fraction of, X, of, of even X. And so this capacity problem is not going to resolve itself unless... Uh, owners uh, and senior executives make the tough decisions and downsize their ops teams. And that may, that will require then uh, a lot of other difficult decisions because as we know, a lot of these independent mortgage bankers in particular grew very big by taking on whole teams. Like a whole team would come join XYZ lender. They'd bring their loan officers, the processors, their their entire ops team that was had been with them at the previous company. And now they're going to have to be told, well, you got to get rid of People have been loyal to you for for years. Uh, very difficult thing, and that may also mean that we have to have ops teams now supporting diff, you know, multiple teams where they didn't have to in the past, and that's a whole different new relationship structure, et cetera. But I assure you that the ones who can do this and do it well, and where the the where the originators understand the reality of today's market, um, they'll be better off in the long run. Because I I worry about people just saying, oh, well, I'm going to leave in that case and I'm going to go find somewhere else to go. I, I just don't see that as a solution. I think the solution is if your company is one of the survivors, you got to stick with them and make the tough decisions um, along with what your leadership is trying to get you to do. You talked about how, you know, uh, loan officers, loan originators are going after every loan. That really requires getting to the borrower first, right? Or or having the relationships with your referral partners who will, who will give you that. Um, there's also technology involved in that. Where do you see this being different than last time around when it comes to getting to the borrower? You know, it's funny. Um, there's a motivational, not motivational, whatever. She's a, a coach, Jennifer Duplessis, but she used to work with me in, uh, as a loan officer on one of my teams years ago. But, you know, we were talking uh, recently and I, you know, I was saying, I said, this is like going back in time. She goes, it is, but it's not. It's going back in time because the way to be most effective, I believe, as a loan originator today is this is a conflict business um, where refinances are about, about being responsive and having operations support. Um you know, rates go to two, you don't have to do a lot of work. You have to make sure you get the loans processed and get the paperwork in time and get all that together. But you're not really having to go out and put your your uh, insecurities on the line to go talk to people and get people um, to refer you business. In a refi world, it's it's consumer to business. 
The consumer comes directly to you. There's no middle person along the way. A purchase market requires proactive selling skills. You could call it relationship building skills, where you actually go out and pursue activities to try to get someone to refer you alone. And that has to come through a referral partner. So rejection is higher. The opportunity to be embarrassed um, when you put yourself on the line in front of someone and try to get them to believe that they're, you know, to be convinced to use you and they end up saying, you know, I use Joe at XYZ Lender or I don't have a loan for you right now or whatever excuse they end up giving you for not working with you. That rejection is why a lot of loan officers fail. They're making the transition from 2020 and 2021 refund markets where consumers basically called you for mortgages or you did had to do very little. You call your Rolodex and say, I'm dropping your rate of point. Um, that that's a much different world than going out and having to literally make calls. But what's changed is I think you can complement hand-to-hand combat, as it were, face-to-face personal meetings with technology. You can use technology to identify targets, um, source the best people to go focus on. You can use technology to help make at least initial contact and to do reminders and to do thank yous and things of that sort. Um, but you can also use technology to help with your marketing. There's a lot of companies that support that area, whether it's Barry Habib or whoever it may be, they have tools that can be used to help you sell. But I don't believe anything will replace ultimately the importance of having face-to-face contact, uh, with someone who can refer loans to you. And that, that requires you getting out of your office, getting in a car, and going and meeting someone. And I think in the end of the day, we have a whole industry that hasn't had to do that for the last 10 to 15 years in any way, shape, or form like they have to do now. And so there's a whole retooling that's going on. The good news is, Sarah, is that for people who make that transition and really do go learning new skills and learning new communication skills and learning how to be persuasive and come up with creative solutions for real estate agents and go out and make those calls in person, uh, and set up individual meetings with them during the week, they'll be in the minority. I actually believe the majority of loan officers just won't be able to do this, and many will naturally self-select out. I saw an email uh, for one of my clients uh, this week that he sent to his boss saying, hey, I loved working for you. I love the culture of this company. It's been a great place to work. Um, I just can't make it, and I'm going to go do something else. And, uh, and, and that self-selection process, I think, will happen. Um, as we go forward as well. Meaning, look, we're going to have really strong mortgage markets. I know they're not as strong as last year, but we're going to have two and a half trillion dollar markets the next several years, not one and a half trillion like we had from 08 to uh, 2019. So bigger markets, it will right size. So margin will return. And for loan officers that can just work on their skill sets and take risk and be willing to go get rejected and go out and make those calls, they're going to be successful. And I just want to highlight this opportunity of this millennial generation isn't just for the one loan they're going to give you when they buy their first home. They're going to move up and buy a bigger home. Uh, They may get relocated. Their family will expand. They may buy two or three homes along the way, plus a second home. They've got friends they'll refer you to. This this is an extraordinary opportunity uh, over the next decade, really, of this uh, demographic demand that's going to be coming at us for home purchases. And assuming the economy doesn't, you know, completely go asunder after Powell's done and it's, it's um, 
some form of minor recession, I think the overall foundation of this economy is going to remain extraordinarily strong. So I think, you know, we got good years ahead uh, and we will wash out those that really shouldn't be in the business. And I think a lot of it will be self-selection. Some of it, unfortunately, will be forced. You know, it just um, underlines to me the importance of playing the long game in this business. It's a relationship business. We did a story, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and it was called We Remember Who Pays Us and Who Doesn't. And it was from a real estate agent point of view and how the the chickens have come home to roost a little bit after the last two years when really lenders and, and home builders was a big part of the story. Didn't need any, you know, they didn't really need you. You you know, we're not going to really give you the time of day. Well, guess what? You need them really bad right now. So, you know, who you are, yeah. who you were during that time comes back to who you are right now. I totally agree. It, 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 and it is that kind of long game. It's the opportunity. Realtors need help. Um, I, my sister-in-law is a real estate agent. I just got off the phone with her and she was saying, you know, the amazing thing that everybody in her office in Washington, D.C. is complaining about is just there's just a shortage of buyers. Um, and so realtors need help motivating buyers and they're going to start implementing a whole bunch of activities. You can call them first time home buyer like seminars to try to get people motivated as to why it's still a really good time to buy right now, why you can actually negotiate on a home, which you may not be able to do in another year as rates come down a bit. And so, um, you know, they need help. Realtors need tools and help. And I speak to realtor groups all the time, multiple times per week, giving them tools similar to what I showed in, in uh, New Hampshire, where, where you were at when I gave my speech, as to ways, tools you can use that really give reasons as to why you should buy a home. And I actually think this winter is a actually a unique buying opportunity because so many people are scared on the sidelines and sellers are worried. They may negotiate and pay for the buy down. Um, and these kinds of opportunities, however, need partnering. Realtors need you, need you more now, of course, because it's not, you know, pay full price, non-contingent or get out of my way. Um, and you need them more than ever because it's no longer, hey, it's 2% come refi. I, got, I now need to go get that purchase. That symmetry, I think, is actually a good thing. It's harder. Um, but to your point, I think this is a real long game. It's a chance to go out and build relationships because even the realtor doesn't have a deal right now. They will at some point. And you, you have to lay that foundation and be thinking about the relationship I make today may pay off next spring, next summer, next fall. Um, and, but you need to broaden that base. You need a, a really wide berth of real estate and home builder, financial planner, whatever your referral sources are, uh, contacts that you're making. And you need to have a really disciplined organization style that keeps them in some form of tickler system uh, that forces you to make sure you're following up with the right individuals at the right time. Uh, as you progress through kind of this selling cycle to build the relationship. Well, and it's not just originators. You think about servicers and, you know, why should anyone be able to refi somebody out of you? If, if you're the servicer and you have contact with someone, you know, for, for years at a time, hopefully you're doing a great enough job that, that you know, they want to come back. Yeah. Oh, that's, you know, I, I think that's a really understated um, point you're making and not enough people think about it. I, um, I had a personal experience. I'm not going to name the company, but I had I had my mortgage um, with a bank that had to sell the branch where my mortgage was held. And so suddenly my servicer switched. I was no longer with the institution that I wanted to keep my loan with. I went to a new servicer and 
without name without giving it away, I'll just say the whole process and access and website and getting information and confusion was too much for me. I refied out. Um, so the value of a servicer in your partnership is really important. Um, and as we all know all too well, there are some that are you know far better at it than others, but I think it's a, it's an opportunity if you're a head of servicing or servicing manager, Think of your servicing team as a sales force for retention and future purchase transactions. Because if they have a great experience with you, they're more likely to want to stick with that institution altogether. You brought up uh, Jay Powell earlier, so I can't uh, let this go without uh, you know talking about what we saw this week, which was another rate hike um, by the Fed. And then we know that we're going to have another one in December, maybe a few more next week. Um I did a podcast with Logan Motoshami and and we talked about, you know, why is the Fed using housing as a sacrificial lamb? Um, you know, it can feel like they're the whipping boy right now. We all know, we, you know, housing as opposed to the great financial crisis was not was not the cause of of where we currently are, right? I mean, it's a, it's a complicated economic yeah. uh, condition we're in right now, but tell us a little bit about how you feel about how the Fed's doing. Well, look, I I think Logan and I come from probably a similar opinion here, which is, um, first, I think the Fed's going to overshoot this. Um, and, you know, just like they overshot the um, quantitative easing path that they went on during particularly the Great Recession, they created too much stimulus. It wasn't just the Fed. Now, remember, Congress passed some major legislation a couple of times around that put a lot of money out in the economy through PPP and uh, mortgage uh, rental forbearance programs and giving paychecks to all sorts of Americans, et cetera. But we just have way too much stimulus and we're paying the price for that today. The problem is um, housing is about 30% of the GDP number. And uh, Powell does need to slow the economy. You saw the jobs report. Um, uh, and we're going to see more uh, unemployment numbers tomorrow or jobs numbers tomorrow. And, it, you know, we're going to be north of 200,000 jobs. And it's we have still a really strong economy with far too many jobs chasing too many, too few workers. The demand is just huge everywhere. Um, and the unfortunate reality is home prices have appreciated 34% approximately on average over those two years of 2020 and 21 on a national scale. Uh, some more, some less, but um, you can't get the GDP growth in check without checking house price appreciation. And so unfortunately, uh, and, and home price demand, you've got to slow that. You can't overlook a third of the economy. So don't look at it. You know, I would look at it this way. When Powell was giving you two and a quarter percent rates, no one complained about him overshooting. Right. Uh, he, 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 he created billionaires in our industry. Um, unfortunately, I think they overshot and, and now they're in the process of potentially overshooting this again on the reverse side. But the good news is, guys, is, you know, don't look at it as taking a thing out of housing, look, taking a bite out of housing, look at it as he just needs to level set from what was hyperinflation in home and real estate. You know, these double digit home price appreciations being way multiples over average wage increases was not sustainable, even though we all loved it while it was happening. Um, you know, that this will all level out and then we will have, I think, really solid, sustainable housing demand over the years ahead, you're not going to get the boom years of 2020, 2020 and 2021 back. It's not coming again. Uh, but you're also not going to have this painful period that we're in today 
for the long haul either. And I just think it's that balance. But Powell is a conundrum. Um, and, you know, we're all relating it to Volcker. And then you look at Volcker and you see, you know, FHA went to 18%, I think, in 1980 at its peak. We're not going to have that either. I think this is going to be, you know, we have three quarters now, depending on the data between now and the rest of the year, probably another three quarters. Maybe it tempers down to a half. If it does, and that starts giving indicators that the, the Fed feels like it's getting near its goal. I just think right now, especially today, the employment numbers are, are a problem. I would say, however, that as we all know with the employment data, um, most of that was in the service industry. So it's not really reflecting core fundamental economic strength. And so um, hopefully the Fed's reading through that as well a little bit. So the, the Fed gives and the Fed takes away, right? That's over the and last yes, couple definitely. of years. And, and you'd love it if they gave a little and they took away a little. Unfortunately, they gave way too much and now they're taking it all back. <laughs> you know, at uh, the NBA annual conference, was, which was a great conference this year, we went and um, learned a lot, had a great time, met a lot of people. And the overall, you know, the overall vibe was more positive among the people who were attending than, than I would have expected, given our, our uh economy right now. And I don't know if that's, you know, just self-selecting because people who go to the conference were able to go to the conference, whatever. But I do think that um, it was interesting to see that people who have been around this for several cycles are like, we know how to get through this, even though it's different this time, even though there's some different variables, there's not that sort of fear that they've already done it before. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, look, this is a very resilient industry. I, I actually, when, when a couple of these big uh, independent mortgage bankers went public, I was like, does Wall Street understand the cyclicality of a monoline industry called mortgages? But, you know, the reality is, look, there's a lot of great stories at, at annual. There's companies that built up big servicing portfolios, and that's literally sustaining them through these production declines. Um, and so, and there are a lot of originators who are capitalizing on the contraction by growing origination staffs and more. Many of them were smart, and they saved away enough money to survive the downturn I mean, this is all about capital and compliance right now. Those are the key words of, of survival. Um, but, you know, there's also a lot of untold stories of people who aren't going to be great at surviving through this. So I heard and saw a lot of the optimism that came out of annual. That's wonderful. Um, I still believe for just a reality check, I think this is going to be the hardest winter that our industry has ever experienced. I can't imagine unless you're, I mean, I started in 1983, unless you're a lot older than me and went through the late seventies, you've never been through a cycle like this. Um, and so in that regard, I think it's healthy to know that you need to hunker down and you've got to, you know, do your knitting, stick to basics and have standards around <clears throat> production metrics, uh, operations metrics and more. But at the same time, I do believe I, I like seeing that a lot of people have are experienced and mature enough to say, look, we've been through this before. We know what we need to do to get through this and we are going to get through it. So it's interesting. I really appreciate your insights there. You talked about uh, a habit of optimism earlier in, in this podcast for you personally, what does that look like? How do you stay optimistic? Well, I am, um, you know, I do a lot of public speaking, um, mostly through Zoom, uh, not not attending conferences, although I just accepted another couple invites in person. But the um, I talk about practicing optimism to everybody I speak with because it's too easy to get dragged down. Um, we have, you know, in the past, we had 
the media and just numbers telling our business story and getting everybody all excited. Home prices appreciated by X last month on the CoreLogic reports. Whoa, look at this. Buy a home real quick. Rates, you know, hit another new low at two and two and three eights. Whoa, you know, this is fantastic. Now the media is t- taking any negative part of the story they can and blowing it up. And so uh, Logan does a good job showing this uh, from a perspective standpoint. If you look at like home home listing inventory over just the last year, it went up over the last few months. It's actually dropped a bit last month, but it still went up. It's higher than it was in the beginning of the year. Yet if you look at, at, at it over the history of tracking home listing inventory, it's near historic lows. We haven't had this low in inventory of homes since the 1940s. So what, what am I saying here? I prefer to go out to audiences and take true economic data, but paint a picture that gives them tools to go encourage people to do business, to transact, to buy a home, or to a realtor to go out and make an effort to go talk to their prospect list. Because if you let this get to you, uh, it's really going to drag you down and you're going to end up failing. It'll be a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so you have to practice optimism. My, my theme of my presentations that I end with every day is you got to wake up each morning and practice optimism. I'm going to go sp- spend, spread positive messages about home ownership and, and housing today. Um, you know, people are complaining about 7% rates. Well, 7% rates are near historic lows for interest rates. Um, the only time they were lower pretty much is from the Great Recession of 08 to through the pandemic recession when the Fed got involved. Other than that, it's pretty darn good rate. So even if they don't drop, you have a good rate. But the reason why to go buy, you lock in seven. If it goes up, you're protected. If it goes down, you can refi. I mean, you know, it's just don't don't lose the opportunity to go buy a home today. And And so that's something, you know, I don't talk about this with my family. Like we all have personal lives. Um, when I'm at the lake and I'm out on the boat with friends, that this is not our subject conversation. But when I wake up and do my job every day, this is definitely my conversation. It's it's we got We have to be optimistic in terms of how we look at things. Well, thank you for sharing that conversation with us. Really appreciate you being on and appreciate your perspective. Great to be with you as always, Sarah. Anytime. Thanks, Dave. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.